this is Kisa Shreen. Today on the show, we're featuring another interview from our Net Zero Conversation series. The series was recorded at the Net Zero Delivery Summit, hosted by the City of London Corporation in association with the COP26 UK Presidency 2022 and the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero, also known as GFANS. As always, we love hearing from you, so reach out on social media or at our show inbox, fmt at lseg.com. Now over to Jane Goodland, Group Head of Sustainability at LSEG. Emma, welcome, and thank you for joining us on Net Zero Conversations. It's great to be here, Jane. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. So you wear a number of professional hats. Please tell us a bit more about that. So uh, your role at the Environment Agency and also the Green Finance Institute. So I'm currently chair of the Environment Agency in England. We are the environmental regulator. We also have responsibility for flood and coastal erosion risk management, which has been very much on my agenda over the last few years in this role. I have a background in finance and I'm currently chair of the Green Finance Institute here in London. How is the Environment Agency working on climate generally? Is there a is it, what's the strategy? We are focusing on net zero and the climate agenda in many, many different ways through our work. If we start off with flood and coastal erosion risk management, this is about better protecting communities, lives, livelihoods up and down the country. We've just delivered our five-year flood programme, some $2.6 billion pounds worth of infrastructure, better protecting individuals, communities from flood risk and have started a new programme where that budget has doubled because of the events that we've been seeing from a climate change perspective. But we also work on the net zero agenda through our environmental regulatory work. Uh, for example, we are the administer of the UK emissions trading scheme. We administered that when we were part of Europe. We also, as an organisation, have made our own net zero commitment and we intend to meet net zero by 2030 throughout our operations. It's important that you also walk the talk, right? So that's it's important. So how can other countries build this kind of climate adaptation and resilience into their long-term plans? And I think this is one of the elements of our net zero work that as we race towards net zero, we also need to be racing towards resilience as well. For too long, whether it's in this country or around the world, we've seen adaptation and resilience preparing for climate shocks like floods, heat waves, droughts, other climatic events as something separate to our mitigation work, the, the need to reduce our emissions at scale and very, very quickly. We need to bring those things together. Otherwise, we risk all of our net zero investments literally being washed away in a flood or melting mm. in a heat wave. And this is something that it might not feel quite so urgent here in the UK, although we have been experiencing ever more frequent flood-related events, it is very, very relevant in other parts of the world. Just this year, 
Just last month, earlier this month, we've seen heat waves in India, Pakistan, a billion people having their lives and livelihoods affected by too much heat. And again, around the world, different storms, different flooding events leading to loss of life. And does the UK, through the Environment Agency or other bodies, share best practice with other countries so that we can help other countries in that adaptation work? We share best practice, but we also have a huge amount to learn from other countries that are at the forefront of the climate change agenda. And I think this is particularly relevant for adaptation and resilience, where other parts of the world have had to, because of the impacts that they've been experiencing, be looking at how they rebuild their infrastructure, building back better, but also how they prepare for incidents and make sure their communities, their individuals, their citizens are ready for dealing with the climate shocks that are happening at an ever more frequent um, basis. And I think this is where those of us who are working in the global north have a huge amount to learn from Mm -hmm. in terms of getting prepared for these events that we are seeing more frequently. And we've heard people talking about kind of the pace, the pace of change and progress not being adequate. From your perspective, what can kind of the the finance sector and other parties do to really accelerate, get things going quicker towards net zero? We're seeing and we've heard about some of the huge progress that has been made since COP26, heading towards COP27. Uh, the, the whole purpose of the event uh, that we've been attending for the, for the last day is about showing that progress. I think where we're seeing things move at pace is through collaboration bringing together sectors with the um, world of finance, the different types of finance that are applicable to funding net zero, linking it to the real economy and to those sectors where we can start driving change. So I think that the progress that we're seeing is definitely gearing up, but we also need to see that feed through to real projects on Mm -hmm. the ground being invested in. Yeah, tangible projects that people can can see for themselves. When we talk about um, net zero, I think you touched on it before. Often people think about it's just about getting emissions down, or you know that's the that, that's the kind of the main point. But do we need to think more carefully about some of the wider issues as we as we kind of accelerate and get those emissions down? Are there unintended consequences or wider issues that we need to be mindful of? We are still dealing in this country around the world with the unintended consequences of the first industrial revolution. We need to make sure that the green industrial revolution allows for innovation, but also is structured in a way that means that if mistakes are made, if there are unintended consequences in relation to nature in particular, air quality, water quality, that we are engaging in a way that we will make sure that we the, the polluter pays. Mm-hmm. We don't want to mm-hmm. slow down that innovation. And one of the ways that we can do this is making sure that different regulators are working together. And by that, I mean the financial regulators, again, heard a lot about that today, but also economic regulators and the relevant environmental regulators. If we are working together and allowing some of our innovation 
some of the regulatory sandboxes that are being referred to, to make sure that we're looking at those unintended consequences, then I think we can move at pace. But that requires everybody to engage and everybody to be aware of the risks that are being taken, but allowing for them to be dealt with if things do go wrong. Thank you. And you mentioned nature there, which I just want to touch on on briefly in terms of, it feels like nature is the forgotten part in all of this sometimes, but actually nature can be a massive part of the solution. Tell me about what the Environment Agency is doing with respect to biodiversity and, and natural capital. Nature is so integral to how we deal with both net zero, but also our adaptation and resilience programme. Again, it's essential to weave nature into our work, and we see this with our flood programme in particular, but often the work that we're doing to provide better flood protection is the flip side of dealing with too little water as well. Mm -hmm. There's a massive role for grey infrastructure, but as we work on flood in particular, slowing the flow, um, using nature, the natural environment, uh, different interventions higher up a river catchment can really make a difference mm -hmm. in terms of the flood event when it hits the urban environment. But at the same time of hel helping with the flood agenda, it is also helping with the net zero agenda as well. The things that we can do with our peatland also absorbs carbon. So it's, it's a win for both the net zero agenda, it's a win for preparing for climate shocks, but we need to make sure that we are restoring nature at the same time. One of the ways I look at it is comparing our infrastructure budget for flood with the programme of infrastructure investment for the UK as a whole. The Infrastructure and Projects Authority has set out a programme of £650 billion worth of investment in new infrastructure in the mm -hmm. UK by 2030. If you look at the flood budget, it's a thin green line of mm. defence. We need to make sure that we're working together to, as that infrastructure is built, it has net zero at its heart. It is being built in a way that is preparing for climate shocks, but also works alongside and with nature as well, so that we are better protecting our natural environment at the same time. A huge win if we get that right. Uh, a final question, if we may. As we look towards COP27, it's a tricky question, but if there was one thing to make it a, a key success, what's the one thing we need to get right? We need to make sure that we get the finance world aligned around investing in net zero, but resilience and nature need to be at the heart of that as well. It is going to, adaptation and resilience will be firmly on the agenda at the African COP and it's a whole world issue. We all need to get our arms around it and support financing resilience. Thanks so much for your time, Emma. Thank you. We invite you to subscribe to the Refinitive Sustainability Perspectives podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you stream your content. What did you think about the podcast? Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for updates on our show. Thank you for joining and see you next time.